I'm Janice Dean. I'm David Asman. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, July 1st, 2020. I'm Trey Yingst. While COVID-19 cases are spiking in America, many European countries have flattened the curve. The United States faces a bigger challenge in the sense that the, the geographical area is so much bigger than it is in, uh, in Europe. Uh, there's so much regional variation, and so there's far more opportunity, I think, for waves of the virus to move across uh, the United States with, with different states at different stages of, of dealing with the pandemic. This is the Fox News Rundown, Global Pandemic. Comparing and contrasting the coronavirus pandemic response in America versus Europe requires an understanding of populations, government policies, and cultures. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from Niall Gardner, the director of the Thatcher Center at the Heritage Foundation, about the latest coronavirus news out of Europe. Starting first in Italy, that recorded its lowest daily death toll this week since February. On Saturday, the country saw just eight deaths, a single-digit trend that continued into the week. The previous hotspot is also recording under 200 daily positive cases after seeing widespread lockdowns during the initial outbreak. The government announced this week that schools will reopen in mid-September after being closed for more than six months. Now to Spain, another area that was greatly affected by coronavirus. Spanish authorities in Madrid say they too are seeing days with single-digit deaths, as much of the Spanish economy has reopened. Spain has seen nearly 250,000 total cases and nearly 30,000 deaths as a result of COVID-19. There are real concerns, though, about a second wave in Spain, as new positive daily cases are starting to climb again. Finally, in France, daily figures will no longer be given for new positive cases and deaths. French authorities are also concerned about a second wave, but say they are trying to manage economic concerns in the wake of the initial outbreak. France's finance minister proposed splitting off any debt related to coronavirus and spreading out repayments over a few years. So with an understanding of how some European countries are coping, how does the region compare to the United States? The coronavirus uh, hit most European countries actually at, at an earlier stage in a major way as opposed to the United States. And so Uh, Major European countries such as uh, France and uh, Spain, for example, were very hard hit in the early stages, actually, of the the virus. Uh, And so the European response certainly, I think, was uh, ahead of that of the United States, simply because Europe was really on the front line of the impact of the virus back uh, back in March. And so uh, France, Spain, for example, had uh, a huge number of cases, actually, several months ago. Uh, and you now see the curve being flattened across uh, most, of, most of Europe. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, the reality is that Europe had to deal, I think, with the full brunt of COVID-19 at an earlier stage as opposed to the United States. And that, that's, that's why I think you're seeing, you know, the big differences in numbers today between the U.S. and Europe. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about some news that is breaking regarding travel bans for Americans traveling to the EU. It appears there is some preferential treatment, at least from what I could gather from your tweets, about this statement and decision by the EU. And I wanted to get your thoughts on what you make of this new American travel ban for travelers who want to go to the EU. 
Yes, uh, so the European Union is considering lifting its travel ban for around 15 countries, and that includes uh, China, actually. And so very controversially, the EU is, uh, is thinking about allowing Chinese uh, citizens to enter into the European Union for the first time in, in many months. Now, at the same time, the European Union is looking to maintain its ban upon US citizens from entering Europe. Now, this strikes me as a political decision overwhelmingly by the European Union. Uh, it really, uh, I think, is an example of the widespread anti-Americanism that you find in the upper echelons of the European Commission, the executive branch of the European Union. Uh, and I think this is uh, overwhelmingly a political decision, not a health-based decision. And also, the European Union is in full appeasement mode towards China. Beijing is exerting a great deal of, uh, of pressure upon the European Union. Uh, and the EU is uh, reciprocating on, on many fronts. And this is a good example of that. And it is really absolutely shameful uh, that the European Union is bowing down to, to Beijing on this and so many other issues uh, as, as well. Uh, at, at the same time, the EU is thumbing its nose at the United States. And so it's an appalling example of anti-American sentiment uh, within the leadership of the, the European uh, Commission, the, the executive branch of the European Union, uh, and a desire on the part of, of uh, some EU officials to, to kowtow to the Chinese uh, dragon. It's an absolute uh, disgrace. And it tells you everything you need to know about the... Uh, the mindset of the EU's leadership at this time. What I find really amazing is that many of these European countries were receiving faulty Chinese gear at the early onset of this outbreak. We saw so many reports of hospitals, doctors, nurses dealing with medical gear, personal protective equipment that came from China that didn't meet the standards to ensure that they could conduct medicine in a safe fashion. And now you have what appears to be a protection of this relationship. Where does this stem from? I mean, where are the Chinese pressuring the Europeans to make these decisions? And are there specific agreements, whether it's trade or whether it has to do with bilateral relations between specific countries that are allowing these decisions to be made in what appears to be a more favorable angle towards the Chinese? It's all about really trade and investment between the EU and, and China, uh, which causes a huge uh, trading and investment uh, relationship. Uh, and the European Union wants greater access, of course, to, uh, to the Chinese market. Uh, it wants a greater market for European goods and services. And so it's really uh, overwhelmingly about the, the economics here for, for the European Union. Also, of course, uh, Chinese biggest technology company Huawei has made uh, very significant inroads into European markets over the last two decades. Uh, and so Huawei has become a massive player in the uh, the 5G telecommunications uh, drive across uh, across Europe. Uh, and so on so many fronts, um, the, the Chinese government has attempted to establish uh, a larger and larger foothold in many uh, European uh, countries, uh, and frankly, the the Chinese uh, government exerts increasing influence within 
uh, within Europe on many on many fronts. And when it applies major pressure campaigns like the one we're seeing now over the issue of uh, Chinese citizens being able to, to travel to uh, to Europe, um, the, the Chinese are often successful in in reaching their uh, their goals because the the Europeans are willing to uh, to bow to Chinese uh, pressure in order to maintain uh, the the huge economic relationship that the EU has with uh, with China. So it is very sad to see this uh, this appeasement mindset deeply embedded uh, within uh, you know the EU's top institutions. Uh, and at the same time, of course, I think many EU officials harbor a uh, an animosity towards uh, the United States, especially towards the, the present US administration. There's a lot of bad blood between Brussels and and Washington. Uh, and I think the you know the desire to keep uh, American citizens out of the European Union has nothing whatsoever to do with with covid nineteen and and health issues. This is a political decision that's being taken by uh, by the European Union, hugely counterproductive, uh, and it makes absolutely no sense, I think, in terms of the big picture for Europe to be doing this. From the political lens, these are extremely interesting points, and you talk about the influence of other actors like China in the decisions that are being made by the EU. I do want to shift gears to the medical lens and what American yes. hospitals and doctors can learn from the EU and these countries that have already lived through the first wave of the pandemic. You see many states in the U.S. still dealing with their first waves, others entering what appears to be a second phase of the virus. What can Europe teach America about the coronavirus and how to best handle this outbreak? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that um, you know every European country has had its its own approach to dealing with the uh, with the virus, uh, and it is important to bear in mind that the the response to COVID nineteen has been overwhelmingly handled by European nation states as opposed to the European Union, which has overall been quite weak, need and and useless in responding to the virus. But individual European governments, I think, have have overall done a very good job in confronting COVID-19. And for example, if you look at how the German government has responded to the coronavirus, its response has been very effective. It's heavily based upon uh, contact tracing in Germany. Uh, and the Germans have implemented a very efficient uh, contact tracing system. Uh, and they've been able to make major inroads actually in limiting the impact of the virus. And many other European countries have gone down uh, the same the same path here, uh, but without a doubt, I think the you know the most important um, uh, factor in terms of turning things around in, in Europe has been uh, the the widespread use of, of contact tracing in many European countries, but also you know U.S. government uh, sorry European governments have implemented similar measures taken by by many U.S. Uh, states in terms of initially uh, stringent. Uh, lockdown uh, measures, uh, for example, which which most uh, major European governments implemented, many U.S. states have gone down the same route. Uh, I think that um, the United States faces a bigger challenge in the sense that the, the geographical area is so much bigger than it is in uh, in Europe. Uh, there's so much regional variation, and so there's far more opportunity, I think, for waves of the virus to move across 
the United States with, with different states at different stages of, of dealing with the pandemic. Whereas in Europe, it's a much smaller uh, area. Uh, and, and I think it has been uh, easier for uh, European governments to contain the overall spread uh, of, the, of the virus. Uh, it's also, I think, worth noting that European uh, governments also imposed uh, very strict border controls throughout the pandemic. Uh, and we saw um, the elimination or the suspension of what is known as the Schengen Agreement of, of border-free travel uh, across uh, across much of, of Europe. And so you did see very strict border controls being implemented. That certainly, uh, I think, uh, helped European governments to be able to limit the spread of the virus. And of course, in the United States, um, states are not able to implement those kinds of uh, stringent border controls. Uh, and so uh, the virus spreads more easily across uh, across the United States, so it's a different it's a different picture in Europe where where you're dealing with a large collection of of nation states who have suspended um, you know border free travel. In the United States, of course, there's free travel across across the U.S. and so it's it's certainly harder for uh, U.S. states to be able to prevent people from moving from one state uh, to the other uh, if they're carrying the virus. You've been listening to Niall Gardner, the director of the Thatcher Center at the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back. Finally, I wanted to ask you about the intersection of medicine and politics. What is your sense when it comes to treatment development and vaccine development about sharing of information and data points for the greater good? We talk a lot about the political disputes between the EU and the Trump administration, and we talk a lot about the lessons that can be learned from the outbreak in Europe. But looking forward, do you feel that European allies of the US will push to ensure that any developments make their way to the United States in a rapid and efficient manner? Or do you worry that politics could play a role even at that level in the treatment of coronavirus? Yeah, that's a very important uh, question here. Uh, and you have uh, companies across Europe who are working on uh, a potential vaccine for COVID-19. Now, significantly, uh, the, the companies that have the, the most advanced capability in terms of developing a vaccine for COVID-19 are, are based uh, in the United Kingdom, AstraZeneca, for example. And so the UK is actually the, the market leader by a long way in Europe in terms of vaccine development. Uh, and you have leading British universities such as Oxford University, Cambridge University, Imperial College of London, who are all working uh, in assisting with um, with the development of uh, of vaccines. And so this, of course, is very helpful for the United States because the the U.S. and the U.K. with their special relationship uh, share a great deal of of medical advances, technology, a lot of. Uh, uh, there's a great deal of collaboration between U.S. and British um, pharmaceutical companies. Some of those companies are jointly owned uh, by the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, and so, so there's a great deal of collaboration uh, across the Atlantic between Great Britain and the United States. And I think um, if a vaccine is to be uh, to be found for COVID-19, if an effective vaccine is to be found, I, I think it's going to be developed either in the United States or the United Kingdom, and quite possibly by a joint 
Anglo-American uh, company. Uh, and so I, I'm not I'm not so concerned really about um, about Europe withholding uh, vaccines because I think the vaccine is likely to be developed in the United Kingdom, which has such a close relationship with the United States. I think, you know, I, I think the outlook is very favourable there. I think uh, a bigger issue certainly is, is whether a vaccine is developed in continental Europe, in Germany, France, uh, Italy, Spain, uh, for example, and, and how that would work in terms of, um, you know, the broader transatlantic alliance. There will be some in Europe uh, who will seek to uh, keep the vaccine for, you know, largely for Europeans. Uh, but I hope that any vaccine that is developed on either side of the Atlantic uh, would be fully uh, utilised by uh, by uh, by everybody and and hopefully um, a vaccine can be um, also deployed effectively across the world uh, as well. But it's my view that it's most likely that a vaccine is going to be developed by a U.S. or British company uh, or a, a joint U.S. British um, uh, pharmaceutical company together with with leading. British and American universities. So I, I think that um, there's a lot of hope in terms of the strength of the Anglo-American special relationship in terms of developing a, uh, a groundbreaking vaccine which can be used by, by people across the world. I really appreciate your insight on this topic and the delicate relations across the Atlantic. Now, Gardner, the director of the Thatcher Center at the Heritage Foundation. Now, thank you again for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.